Okay, today is Thursday, August 11th, 2011. And we'll take a few moments of silent prayer to prepare ourselves for the study of God's Word this evening. An option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. It doesn't matter that the storm clouds are gathering and it just has one, we seem to have one bit of bad news after another, but you are still faithful, your grace is still sufficient, and your promises are still valid. So we pray that you will help us all to continue to use the divine viewpoint and not get mired down in the mud of human viewpoint. We thank you that you have provided your word and that we can understand the whole realm of doctrine because of your provision of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you will help us to focus this evening, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I got an email from another pastor. Some of y'all will recognize uh, the name, Pastor Bob Bolander from Austin Bible Church. And he sent me an email. I think it's, uh, it's just a fascinating email. I'm, I might make a few comments when I'm through. He says, I want to thank you and your congregation for the prayers that you have offered on behalf of Austin Bible Church. As we approach our one-year anniversary in the new building, I can't believe it's been a year already, our biggest burden has been the $735,000 shortfall on the debt after the city of Austin blew our construction budget through the roof. We continued in faith and trusted that we were where the Lord took us and refused to look back with second-guessing or faithless doubting. Tonight, our midweek, midweek prayer meeting will be offering praise and thanksgiving to our God and Father for an anonymous donor he motivated to provide a $600,000 donation to ABC, that's Austin Bible Church. We hope that you and your congregation will join us in this rejoicing and celebration for how faithful our Lord truly is. Isn't that wonderful? That several things come to mind. Of course, I wrote him back and said this is yet another illustration of God's grace always being sufficient. But it also made me think how fortunate we are here. Um, we don't owe a penny on any of our facilities, on anything. And we still have money in the bank, but um, for... A facility this size, if you go and buy the land and buy the building and so forth, you're over a million dollars easy. This isn't what the building cost. This is what the debt shortfall was, $750,000. So I hope that, and I'm, I think that you all are, very appreciative for what God has provided here. Very comfortable place. And I don't know about you, but I'm just kind of fond of it. It's not new and it's not modern, but I don't like new and modern. 
How can it be Country Bible Church and look modern anyhow? So anyway, we just uh, are very happy for Austin Bible Church. And I thank Bob for sending that email to us so that we can uh, be thankful to the Lord for His provision. You know, one thing that Austin Bible Church is very big on is prayer. Uh, they, uh, they are a praying church. They sent me an email last year just to tell us that this, they, they spent a whole prayer meeting of that week praying for Country Bible Church, for, for me and Country Bible Church. And I told them that we thank them. And we cannot pray. That's one thing you can't do too much of is praying. And prayer is a hotline to the Almighty of the universe and why we are hesitant to use it. Uh, I don't know where you all seem to be, but anyway, uh, we think, think we are thankful with them. Now we're going to continue our review of Second Thessalonians in chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. have a shot for you take it. Thank you. I saw whether <clears throat> in Houston they're telling restaurants not to serve water unless they ask you for it. And they can only water at certain times and so forth. Okay, second Thessalonians and we're gonna look at chapter two. <clears throat> We just finished verse 15, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the tradition which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. So one of the things that we do in order to stand firm, of course, there's many ways that we stand firm, but you cannot stand firm if you are ignorant of doctrine. I tell the young people all the time that when you get in a discussion with someone about spiritual matters, about religion, about God, if you whatever you tell them, if you're not using Scripture, all you're doing is giving them your opinion. It's your opinion against their opinion. But when you bring the Word of God into it, it takes a whole new dimension because the Word of God is alive and powerful. And I don't think we can say that necessarily about our own opinions. So when you bring Scripture into a conversation, what you've really done is raise the level of discussion. And if they don't agree with what you happen to be standing firm on, it's really not an argument between you and that person. Really, they have a problem with what God has to say. That is, if you are accurately presenting whatever doctrine it may be. So what we're, what we're going to do tonight, this is where we ended last time, is look at the wrong way and the right way 
to stand firm. Now, I gave you about, I don't know how many verses it was. I think over a dozen verses. Over and over, they were all in red that said, Stand firm, stand firm. All Over and over. These are commands that we don't have an option. And when we have opportunities to stand firm for the faith, if the Holy Spirit is leading us to participate in whatever is going on, then we certainly want to uh, be able to use whatever knowledge we have in order to glorify God. We're going to start out with the wrong way to stand firm. And first of all, we have flaunting your superior knowledge of Bible doctrine in order to lord it over other people. This is a Bible church. Most Bible churches have a congregation that has more knowledge of the Bible than most denominations do. Now, that's not across the board, but just as a general rule, that's the case. And just because you have more knowledge than someone else, the last thing you want to do is come across as being superior to someone. Because if they get a whiff of that, you're dead in the water. It's not going to be glorifying to the Lord. And even if you articulate it in a great way, if you are arrogant about it, then it's, it's just not going to have any real production to it. It's a turnoff to other people. The second thing with regards to standing firm the wrong way is arguing with unbelievers over non-essentials. You have to use discernment, especially when you're talking to unbelievers. And if you're talking to an unbeliever or you're talking to a believer that is not initiated into what we would say the doctrinal principles, then use a vocabulary that they can understand. Now, you can throw out big, long theological terms and impress them, but if they don't know what you're talking about, what good is it? So that goes along with being uh, the, more of the having a superior air about you. But you don't want to argue with anyone, but especially about the non-essentials. When you're, listen, this is the main thing. This is the main point right here. When you're talking to unbelievers, stick with the gospel. They will try to get you in all kinds of uh, areas and discussions on extraneous things, things that really don't make any uh, sense whatsoever with regards to an unbeliever. I saw a believer one time when I was in school, and he was arguing with an unbeliever. He knew he was an unbeliever. And you know what they were arguing about? Whether Adam had a navel or not. Can you believe that? Huh? I mean, and it was a heated discussion. It was a debate. And I'm thinking, so what? I mean, who cares whether he did or did? I don't know whether he did. He didn't need one. But uh, <laughs> isn't that a, crazy? I mean, we laugh, but we can do the same thing. We can argue about things that make no difference whatsoever. And you have to... You have to be alert to this because you can be off on a dog trail about something, especially if you can wax eloquent on it. If an unbeliever is off base on something, he brings to the surface something that is your pet doctrine and, and you have it nailed and you would love to straighten them out on it. Don't do it. It doesn't matter. And what you have to do is just keep going right back to the gospel every time. 
I think of a cow standing before a gate. I don't know what it is about cows, but the little experience that I've had with them, they seem to be mind readers. Because if I want them to go through that gate, I'm gonna, it takes everything in the world I can do. They're going to go everywhere but through that gate. You have to go this side, that side, and you try to drive them in, they'll run off. And, and that's what we have to do with an unbeliever, with get them through the gate. Of course, if you don't want them to go through the gate, they're right through it. But we have to kind of act as a funnel and keep everything going towards the gospel. And you just have to use sometimes tactics when they're trying to get off on something else. You might say, well, you know, that's interesting, but what I'd really like to focus on is what happens after you die. Are you saved? And you can control it. Did you notice what that was, by the way? A question. You can gain control of a conversation by using questions. If you just try to get on your soapbox and soapbox and preach, they'll tune out, they'll go to sleep, they'll change the subject, and they'll try to get away. So I've got a few things here. Uh, should we be uh, Easter egg hunting? Or what about trigger treating? Or what about uh, drinking teetotalers and so forth? Tithe, do we tithe, do we not tithe? Uh, on and on, they get all these issues that you might love to, to discuss. But if you have your radar out and you sense that this is an unbeliever, you stick with the gospel. Uh, let's see. Making a stand on non-essentials. See, this was arguing. Arguing with unbelievers over non-essentials. Uh, this is a little bit different. Because instead of them bringing up something and you arguing about it, you can be the one to bring it up. And when you're talking to an unbeliever, there's no use in bringing up anything that's going to obscure the real issue. And one way you can do this, and I've seen this happen from time to time, is making an issue that really is of no import, and you can do it without even trying. I'll give you an example. I had a friend that uh, worked with me on log homes before uh, I got into the ministry. And he was a, a, a really neat guy. And I didn't see him for about 15 years. And he came to church one day. And to my surprise, his hair was all the way down to here. I mean, he, he, you know how that can change a person's look. And when he came in, I was looking at the people. And there was a few people that kind of looked, and, you know, they kind of widened their eyes a little bit. But to their credit, no one made an issue about his long hair. And because of that, we were able to give him the gospel and the focus be the gospel and not his hair. You see what I'm talking about? When you make an issue of a non-essential, whatever it may be, whether you agree or disagree with somebody, it doesn't matter. Let it go. Don't make an issue of it because then all they can think of is they're focused on some kind of issue, a non-essential, rather than the gospel. So don't correct someone. Don't try to make something the issue when it's not important. Let it go. If they say something that's wrong, let it be wrong. Let them say it. Don't straighten them out because the next thing you know, you're in an argument over... Who's right or wrong over non-essential and you're 
your shot at giving them the gospel is gone. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 22. You remember this? This is the law of freedom, law of love. He says, For I am, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. What is he talking about winning more? Winning more to Christ. To the Jews, I became a Jew, so that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law. Those not being myself, though me, me not, uh, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. Those not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. Do you understand what he's saying there? Everybody has different beliefs, different routines, different habits, uh, especially in the spiritual realm. And, for instance, if you go to a Catholic church, I think I've told you this before, it might be for a wedding Maybe you're visiting someone and they say, well, you come to church and you wind up being a Catholic church. Um, don't, don't try to pick fights with people. Go along as far as you can without compromising doctrine so that you will be able to have their ear. Because if you start making a picking at little things that you don't like or you don't agree with, the next thing you know, you're not going to have any witness with them whatsoever. And this is what Paul is saying. Be whatever you need to be to people. And he's, what he's saying is don't make an issue out of things except if you're at a Catholic church and they're having Mass. You don't take the Mass because it is a blasphemy. Yeah, I've told you that before and you understand that. But don't make a big deal out of it. Just whenever, I guess they get up and go down and take the elements and I just sit there. And if somebody asks you, well, why aren't you taking this? You, you don't have to get on a big tirade. You just might say, I don't believe in the way that y'all take communion. And just leave it at that. You don't want to muddy the waters where you won't be able to have any type of testimony to people. Keep that in mind. Because the adolescent believer is the worst. He knows a little doctrine and he thinks he knows a lot. And he loves to go around straightening out people on non-essentials. And we have to have discernment and make sure that we don't bring any issue up to the forefront with unbelievers especially except the gospel. Okay? Here's another one. Galatians 2, 3 through 5. Here's the, here's the, here's, this is another really good one. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was the Greek, was compelled to be circumcised but it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. What he's talking about is when Paul went uh, to Jerusalem, he took uh, Titus with him, uh, a Greek, and when they found out that 
he was not circumcised, the Jews made a big deal. He can't come into the temple. He can't have anything because they were trying to put legalism into the church and say that, yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but in order to be saved, you also have to be circumcised. You also have to do so-and-so and so-and-so. So it was a doctrinal issue, and, and Paul used correct discernment, and he did not budge then because that was the issue at hand that had to be addressed, so he didn't budge. But compare this scripture that we just had with this one. Same person, Paul. This time it's Timothy, though. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were there and were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. What's he doing here? Is he being a hypocrite? No. He is using discernment. There is a time to make a stand on doctrine, especially when it's the gospel, and the other things you let go by the wayside. And there's a time to be flexible. See, if Paul would have made a big deal out of Timothy, and if he said, I refuse to do it, because he didn't have to do it. We know that that's, we're not under the Mosaic Law. But he used his noggin. He was flexible here so that he would have a hearing. If he would have made that the issue, then the people that he wanted to witness to and give the gospel to would have not, wouldn't, wouldn't have heard it. You understand that? They would have been thinking about nothing about he has to be circumcised. Paul said, okay, it's no big deal. We'll do it. And then he had their ear and was able to witness to them. He was inflexible in Jerusalem when the issue was works versus grace, but flexible when it came to gaining the ear of legalistic people in order that they might be saved. That's the difference. And you hear me say it all the time. One thing that we hopefully are doing is growing in discernment as we grow in doctrine. I think those two go hand in hand. Because we always have to make decisions and choices. And we have to be discerning. Discerning means you're using wisdom. And wisdom comes from the Word. Here's the third thing. Is getting on a soapbox or a pulpit. I know of people, I've seen them before, that are just normal. They speak normal. Everything is normal until they give the gospel. And then their whole personality changes. They get all breathy. And people, I've seen, as a third party, I've stood back and I've watched them. And they say, and instead of saying God, they say, God. And the people that they're talking to are just going, what happened? Am I missing something here? And they, they don't even know that they're doing it. And it can be a big turnoff to people. So you don't have to get on a soapbox or on a pulpit, behind a pulpit or anything. Uh, orations and pontifications are not only not necessary, they're not welcome. When you're talking to people, just talk to them. Because you're giving the gospel or talking about things of the Lord, you don't have to get in some kind of religious mode.
The most effective way to reach someone is through dialogue, not monologue. And you know what that requires? You know, don't you? Questions. Just talk to people. If you ever find yourself talking to someone and it dawns on you that it's a monologue, there's no give and take, there's no discussion going on there, you need to throw on the brakes and ask a question and let them talk. That's what we're talking about here. It's not a speech or a lecture. Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. I use this all the time. Reasoning together is not a lecture. It's just talking to folks. What makes sense? Let's reason together. Just talk to one another. Here's a list of don'ts. Don't let a conversation degenerate into an argument. Do you have a barometer like I do when your blood pressure starts going up? I call it your blood gets up. You get your blood up. When you feel that taking on, coming on, just kind of take a breath and back off. It's okay to get uh, enthusiastic. It's okay to be demonstrative. But just don't let that lapse over into an argument. Don't appear to be so superior. Nobody likes a know-it-all. Don't preach to them or talk to them in a condescending manner and don't tell them you're wrong. How many of you have ever done that? I don't see any hands. Because we'd have a forest of hands if we were all honest here, wouldn't we? How many times has someone told you something that you knew was, was doctrinally wrong and before you could even think about it, oh, you're wrong. No, that's wrong. You ever done that? Do you like to be told that? If you, if you have a certain belief or something and you express it, what do you think? What is your emotional uh, take when someone says, you're wrong? I don't know about you, but I'm saying, okay. There's the line right there. Let's get with it. You feel that way? They're challenging you. Puts them on the defensive. They're more likely to argue with you. Let them see for themselves that they are wrong by the questions you ask. When someone tells you something, I don't care if it's a believer or unbeliever, and they tell you something that you know is doctrinally wrong, you know it's wrong, Rather than telling them it's wrong and get on the defensive, I think the best response is just a syllable. O? Just the letter O. O? And look surprised. Because what that does is tell them, oh, okay, now it's back in your court. You made an assertion, and all I said was the letter O. I know it's not spelled O, but it sounds like it. So you say, oh... And they know, oh, it's now my time to talk. And you know what they must do? Defend what they just said. That's what you've done. You've taken the ball and put it right back in their court by saying one syllable. And now, instead of you coming out and giving this whole diatribe on whatever it may be and them shutting down and all that, all you have to do is say, oh, and you're going to find out why they believe that. And watch them. It's, let me tell you, this can be fun. I mean, it's actually, I'll tell you, Gary and I learned this in sales training. And it's okay, it's not uh, blasphemous to use it in this regard either. How many, how many 
questions. Look through the Gospels and see Christ is asking questions all the time. So when you say, oh, and they, they're kind of shocked because they're thinking you're going to come back with your part, and no, you put it right back on them. Now they have to defend what they said. And most people, and when I say most, I don't know what the percentage is, but I'm saying way up in the 90 percentile, their theology and their beliefs are about an inch deep and about a mile wide. And they may say it with great dogmatism, but that's all they have is dogmatism. They have no content. And when, when, they, when you say, oh, they have to say why they believe that. And, you, you know, who knows where it came from? Oh, you, you might, instead of saying, oh, you might say, where'd you get that idea? Don't, don't make it contrived. It should be just, I never heard of that. You see, for all they know, it might be a religious person. It may be, let's say, a Jehovah Witness. They're all, always out there trying to make converts. And you say, oh, really, where'd you get that idea? They might say, aha, I might have a convert here. He's not arguing with me. He wants information. And that's good. And so you ask him, where'd you get the idea like that? And who knows what they're going to say. Do you know why some of you aren't going to use this? I know why. Because you don't know where it's going to go. And you like, if you can just sit there and spill your doctrinal guts out there, and say everything you want to know, everything you know. Okay, I did my job. Now get away. I'll run away real quick before they say anything because I don't want to go anywhere except where I'm comfortable. Isn't that true? But when you're asking questions, man, it can go. And where did you get I? Oh, it might be Aunt Mabel's the most religious name. Did you hear that? What did I just do? And then now they can. And where did Aunt her information? I hope you all have that. Don't push a person rejects what you say. Don't cheer them. The Holy Spirit that didn't. Okay, if you're using prophecy by the under soul of the Spirit and the joints of the is a false intense loss, what happens? The Spirit and He can that person lag on. That whole week, it just keeps coming back at it because it penetrates in soul. You can know where nothing else is in person. Our job is to stand firm for the truth. We find others. And that is very hard. How many of you just delight in getting rejected? Guys, oh, to be rejected. I went to a, a little league trial, and I was—I guess I was eight years old—and I, I thought I was a player. And I went with Paul Salzgiver, my good friend, and his parents, of course, because what you going to do? And when we were coming up, uh, sitting there trying to be as as the can could be, but what happened was he chosen the not one. And when I finally figured out what, oh, that's why a lot of people. If I don't and they reject me, I'm with it. If that's what I am already, I can feel really good about it. When you rejected for the cause of Christ, what should you do? I rejected it. I am hurt. I have questions about it on you. I'm getting not giving you hey, How can you address an issue if you don't know about it? How many times have you done How many times have someone... The best example I can think of is when this church, George... I would say, that's what up. I've only been seen with it. Oh, that they've said all the this is an eternity. Charles, but for licking, can they? Romans, they've been a position that 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 they've been a
to sink him in You're not telling him you're wrong. You're in the head. Have to you have to get out. So I have to insert that. I did. What? Determined by the Yes, you do. Find out where it is in the Bible. And instead of quoting a verse, what you might say is something like, well, you know, I'm confused. You're saying it's by works. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now help me with that. I don't understand. I'm confused. What am I doing? I'm asking him to participate. Instead of quoting it to him, I want him to explain it to me because he just said it's by works. Or you might just say, Oh, it's by works. Where in the Bible is it talking about being saved by works? Because I want to make sure I'm not going to hell. And I need to know this. And if the Bible says it, can you find that for me? If he says, well, I don't know, you can say, well, will you find it so next time you can show me? Because I don't want to go to hell. Are you all getting this? Just whatever comes in your head that you can put it right back on them, that's what you want to do. Okay, attitude. We're still talking about how to... Stand firm. Attitude. Remain humble and objective. We can't afford to take offense or get angry, even if a person says something that is offensive to us. When I hear someone take Jesus Christ's name in, a, in vulgarity or mal- maligning it or belittling it, I just, I just tighten up. And we can't. We have to remain objective, even if they they taunt you. I've heard. I've had people. You believe they do it to me. They try. They try to ask a question to me. Put a question to me. You believe that? You know, it's the way they say it. You think all a person has to do is believe, and that's it? That's like, that gets them to heaven. Is that what you believe? And what are you tempted to do? Swell up like a big old bloater. I dare you. Am I the only one like that? Y'all don't get offended when someone tramples on the truth? But rather than saying anything, I said, said, well, what do you believe? Answer a question with a question, and it puts the ball right back in their their court. (coughs) Excuse me. We must always treat, treat people in a loving way. People are moved more by your concern and consideration from them, for them than they are by how much knowledge you may have. They're not impressed with your knowledge, but they are, they are impressed with your love and concern towards them. We are to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.14. And you can't do that if you're arguing with someone. By the way, you know, when you're asking people questions, how can they be arguing? You're not taking another stand. All you're doing is asking them. They wind up, what happens, they wind up arguing with themselves. The people who, this is point, uh, where are we? Are we here? Yeah. The people who disagree with you, whether they are believers or unbelievers, are not your enemies, and they have the right to their opinion. Don't make them feel like this, like a, the village idiot because they don't sign on to your doctrine. You're not to belittle them or disparage them in any way. You are to lovingly persuade them to accept the truth based on the evidence, power, and reasonableness 
of the Word of God. Don't expect them to believe anything until you show them the evidence. That's why we believe it, isn't it? Isn't the Bible rational? Isn't it logical? Don't we have facts? We got all the prophecy, we got so much. D is really listen to what the other person says. Has to, what he has to say to keep an open mind. There's, there is a possibility that you could learn something from them or that you might be wrong. Now, I know that is a very minute possibility, but it is a possibility. Listen to them. People appreciate it when you listen to them. And when they say something and you respond to it, it means that they know that you're tuned in. That's the important one, by the way. There's always people out there that know more doctrine than you do. E. If you have no success in reaching someone, let go, back off. There are times when we must agree to disagree. You can ruin another contact with a person if you don't know when to back off. I don't know how many times I did it when I was had those five Jehovah Witnesses that were in my crew when I was working out at the ball valve plant out there at Sealy, Texas. And we didn't agree on anything. I mean, that's the, that's the hard thing about talking to a Jehovah Witness. They're not our enemies. Jesus Christ died for them as well. They're just really mixed up. And anything we would talk about, it seems like we would disagree. And they would say all oh, this mumbo-jumbo, and I would go to the Word, and it just seemed like, have you ever tried to nail jello to the wall? That's what it was like. You're trying to get a point in, and they're just here and there and everywhere. Sometimes, there was one point that I remember this guy, his name was Larkin Beekman. He's no longer a Jehovah Witness. However, I said, you know what? One of these days we're going to find out who's right and who's wrong. There's, you know, there's three possibilities. I could be right and he could be wrong. That was my preference. Or he could be right and I could be wrong. Or we both could be wrong. So sometimes you have to just agree to disagree and fight another day. Not fight. Uh, witness another day, I should say. <laughs> fight the good fight. Strive to keep any hard feeling from developing and to keep the lines of communications open. Maybe you'll be successful next time uh, you have an opportunity to stand firm for the faith. So if people think that you are a know-it-all and you never back off, you never even concede that, well, you're entitled to your opinion and there are some things that we won't know until uh, we get to heaven. Of course, don't say that to a Jehovah's Witness because they don't believe you're going to heaven anyway. I mean, they make... Y'all remember me telling you that? Yeah. Huh? Well, you got the three different levels, the terrestrial and the uh, celestial and all these other things. It's bizarre. Okay, so you got some... I guess we better, before I start verse 17, um, I gave you some... We spent this whole time talking about the right way and the wrong way to stand firm for the faith. 
And I don't know, but I have a suspicion that this was a shotgun blast that may have got everybody. I say that because I know it gets me. Because we fall into certain patterns and habits that we're comfortable with, especially when we're talking about the most important things, which are spiritual nature. And just because you have a certain pattern and habit, the way that you handle these issues does not necessarily mean that you couldn't develop it a little better. That these things that we went over, if you remember them, is going to give you more opportunity and possibly penetrate and open people's minds. You see, people are so skeptical today. If, you, if, they get, if they think that you are a Christian, what conjures up in some of their minds is the nut channel and everybody uh, blowing and touching and falling all over the place and all the razzmatazz. And they think if you're a Christian, they think that's what you're about. And so you have to be reasonable with them and not superior. Just talk to them and let the Word penetrate their soul. We'll pick up verse 17 next Tuesday. Let's close. Father, we thank You that Your Word is absolute truth. It is inerrant. It is complete. Nothing can be added or subtracted from it. And yet we are frail people who need Your guidance and the Holy Spirit in order to reach these who are lost and believers who are in carnality are, are just confused and have lost their way. We want to be salt and we want to be light. And even though we may know a certain measure of doctrine, we have to use discernment and we can use these principles into, in order to better serve you. So we pray that you will help us to incorporate them into our behavior. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.